0: I think like reinvention was how I interpreted reincarnation, especially as a queer person who didn't think I would live very long. I was like, I have to live as many lives in this life (laughs) for as long as I get.
1: Hello and welcome to Your Magic. I'm your host, Michelle T, and today I will be talking with Vivek Shreya, the Canadian artist whose work ventures into literature, visual art, film, music, and theater. We're going to talk about inspiration, religion as a safe space, and who is magic really? After that, Vera Blossom is here with a spell to facilitate change. But first, I want to let you know that Your Magic has a Patreon. 100% of the contributions go to making this podcast actually happen. And supporters get real treats and perks, like access to a monthly deep dive into a different tarot card, hosted by moi, that you can either join in live via Zoom and participate, or watch later at your leisure, or both. I also do monthly tarot astrology readings for each sign. They track the movement of the moon so you know what you're working with each month. Check it out, and serious thank yous to those who are already supporting us in this way. It really helps. Stay with
2: us.
1: So one thing that spending a lot of time with tarot or with astrology will teach you, really drilling it into your head again and again, is that the only constant is change. That's an oldie but goodie from the ancient Greek Heraclitus and it pops up a lot in metaphysical writings because it's succinct and it's true. With the tarot, you watch the movement of life in people's readings. There are literally cards named change. There are cards for endings and cards for beginnings. The death card, the tumbling tower, thinking of the Toth deck, my go-to, the only cards that aren't about some form of change are about stagnation. In the philosophy of this deck, and perhaps all of tarot, if there isn't movement, there's decay. Astrology might not carry such an extreme message, but then astrology is movement. All day, every day, the planets drift through the signs, degree by degree, coming into alliances, or picking fights with each other. I mean, a glance at the astrology app on my phone tells me that today alone, Venus is having a confab with my natal Pluto, Saturn has a bouquet of flowers for my natal midheaven, the sun is doing something wild and wonderful, as is Jupiter and my natal moon, though my ruling planet Uranus is giving my natal Mercury the cold shoulder. (laughs) Those are only some of the planetary movements affecting only me today. The ancient Greeks who loved to get groovy about big concepts also said, you can never step in the same river twice. And I think the same is doubly true about our cosmos. A couple years ago, I was getting an astrological check-in from Larry Arrington, an Aquarius astrologer I really dig and very much recommend. I was really going through it at the time. I mean, speaking of change, my spouse had decided they didn't want to be married to me anymore. They wanted to change it up and be with a new person. Having my Venus in Capricorn, I was distraught. Their choices made no sense to me. To try to understand, I read their Chani horoscopes and it was all about having to make extreme life-altering changes. It was hard at the time to trust my own conclusions, colored as they were by hurt and resentment. I didn't trust my ex either, as they seemed flighty and unhinged, but I did trust astrology. I always trust astrology. And if Chani was saying change was afoot and inevitable, then I accepted it was so, no matter how much it poked at my puny and subjective concepts of fairness. So back to my astrology reading. Larry told me I was having a series of Uranus transits that are known in the astrology world as divorce transits. Like what? Oh, yeah. Larry mapped out when Uranus, the planet of sudden tumultuous change, was making these exact hits on my life. And they synced up exactly with first when the vibe started unraveling between me and my ex, and then when my ex moved out of our house. I had one more coming, Larry forecast, a few months later in June. It would be the grand finale of this season of unexpected change. With my ex more or less out of my life, I didn't know what it could pretend. But that was the month that my current husband proposed to me. So astrology, playing pinball with us tiny humans since the dawn of time. For so many of us, when we think about change or are whacked with it, we get stressed out. We put a lot of energy and resources into keeping our lives on this improbable whirling rock as stable as possible. It can feel like evil forces are against us when our sandcastles get knocked down. But the closer you get to these and other mystical practices, the more you get the feeling they are trying to tell us something. They're trying to tell us that change is normal, that change is everything. Like if our cells didn't turn over and replenish themselves, we'd be dead. If culture didn't shift and evolve, we'd all have far less liberty than we do today. When I'm feeling shaken by changes that have happened or anxious about changes that could, I flash on all the amazing things that have occurred in my life as the result of a change I hadn't really wanted. Babies, travel, big art projects, books, friendships. The more I think about it, the more the whole of my life appears to be built upon the fallout of changes I didn't ask for, but am now so grateful for. Try it yourself and see if you don't wind up feeling like some trickster deity has been punking you all along, testing your ability to let go and rewarding it with something better. Here's Vivek. Well, welcome, Vivek, to your magic. Thank you for being on the pod.
0: I love this title because it makes me feel like I'm magic.
1: That is the point. (laughs) Well, I mean, first, you are magic, and everybody is magic.
0: No, but if everyone is magic, then nobody's magic.
1: Okay, I like that too, I like that too. Could it be that everyone is magic, but some people's magic is just obscured by so much trash? (laughs) that It's just barely emitting any sort of rays whatsoever.
0: I just kind of feel like if you bring guests on, they need to feel a little bit more magical than everybody else. Right. So it's like (laughs) everyone is magic, but you're most magical. You know, that's what I want to hear.
1: Oh, my God. You're so funny. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't read People Change yet. So just to put that up front, but um, everything I've read about it, it seems that it's about embracing change. Yeah. I, I feel like that is a very spiritual concept. I feel like there's a lot of spiritual practices like globally that have at the crux of it, helping humans work with our total difficulty accepting changes large and small all around us.
0: Hmm. Yeah, like in the book, I actually it's largely about reinvention. And I talk about how for me, um, well, I learned the word reinvention through a Madonna review um, in the 90s. But how I was so fascinated in the 90s just watching this woman who constantly was transforming herself and that like if she put out a new album it meant a new look a new aesthetic a new religion and I mean some of it was all problematic or whatever but it was so fascinating to me because it showed me this model of like oh we don't have to be just one person and simultaneously in Hinduism I grew up with this notion of reincarnation where you're born again and and again and again um until you sort of like merge with the divine and I think like reinvention um was how I interpreted reincarnation especially as a queer person who didn't think I would live very long I was like I have to live as many lives in this life <laughs> for as long as I get and so yeah it's it's interesting you pick up on that because for me I, I do feel like my relationship to, to reinvention and and change is a very spiritual one like it's something I think one of the the ways that I've been able to survive to keep creating art to have relationships is through constantly changing myself reinventing myself um, and, and, and I do think there's something, yeah, very sacred about, about that.
1: Where do you feel like your creativity comes from? I feel like you are so multi dimensionally creative and it's so fun to, to witness. Um, and it brings so much light into the world. And I'm just wondering, like, what does it feel like to you to feel inspired? And where do you believe that that comes from?
0: You know, going back to what I was saying, I really feel like being, an artist gives me a sense of purpose, it gives me a sense of meaning, it gives me a reason to wake up in a world that often for queer trans-racialized people doesn't feel <laughs> worth waking up for. So I think that's a big part of where like the drive or the inspiration comes from. I also just really love the challenge. Like, what does it mean to like hear a word or a phrase or have an idea and try to like pull it? From here wherever here is something very abstract and make it tangible and turn it into something that then can be engaged with consumed challenge comfort discomfort you know like that that trajectory i I just find it so exciting and also like because you know i've been doing it for 20 years now i i'm constantly fascinated by the math of like what takes like what makes something connect you know I read this wonderful Neil Gaiman speech that I'm going to paraphrase terribly about how being a creative in the world is like putting a message in the bottle into the into the ocean and every time you make something you're putting it into the ocean and like most of the time it doesn't get to the other side and how that's like a very deeply painful thing but when it does it's a very beautiful thing and it's a very exciting thing and I think that's also part of what draws me to being an artist is I, I'm always curious like what bottles will sink <laughs> and what bottles will get to the other side and it's never what you think it's never what I think I have no I am terrible at predicting what is <laughs> accessible or, or, or popular or any of that stuff and that's not really why I do it but it, it is um, it is a math or a science that I will never figure out and hence I keep doing it, if that makes sense. I have to say really quickly too, the other thing that drives me as an artist, um, and I say this with like all sincerity, is like actually a deep sense of gratitude. I you know, I love music so much. Like I think about, like even just talking about it makes me emotional. Like I think about how much music saved me as a teenager, how much music means to me as an adult, like the power of a song and the way that it can feel transcendent, the way it can lift you out of the ordinary, lift you out of your body, give you an experience that's like beyond this world and I think about every song I've consumed and how many artists I've consumed in that way in particular music and I just feel such a huge debt to those artists I'm like you have given me so much not to mention artists who like you know like Tori Amos who was like talking about sexual violence or talking about you know miscarriages like this is This is like such what a gift to engage in this work. And so as an artist, like I will never be able to give Tori anything back. I'll I'll say her her first name like we're best friends, but like I will never be able to give so many of the artists, especially musicians who have given me so much. And so me making art is always from a place of like of that gratitude of trying to give in a different way. I might not be able to give to those artists, but how do I make art that might give someone just an, even an iota of the kinds of um, joy and meaning that I have, I have received and taken and swallowed from um, other artists and musicians.
1: Oh, I love that. And I totally agree with you. I'm so moved by art. And, and that thought that you can, as an artist, give that feeling to someone is so wild. Mm-hmm. And you are. I mean, you might not be giving it to Tori in particular, <laughs> but like, who knows? Like, the night is young. Like, who knows what the future holds, right? We don't know. You know, it can be so hard to be in the world as a human being. And just having this one thing that I can center my life around, you know, art, writing, whatever it is, um, and, and know that, like, well, I don't really understand very much, but I know I'm here for that. It's so grounding and centering, and it gives me a lot of peace. Um, I mean, you mentioned earlier uh, in our conversation that you were raised Hindu. Do you still um, carry those beliefs and those faiths, or do you feel influenced by them, or have they morphed for you in some way as you as you grew up?
0: Yeah. Like, I mean, I think a part of me will always identify as like a cultural Hindu, you know, like I think that like, you know, a big part of it's actually the music. So I grew up singing bhajans, which are like devotional Hindu songs. And like, that's where I learned how to sing. So that will always inform my practice as a musician, as an artist. One of the things I've talked about in my early work is the ways in which like religion actually for me was like a safe space because... Um, So many of the gods, you know, like even the idea of like a gender nonconforming God, like that exists in Hinduism. And so I like, again, feel a lot of gratitude for, um, for the kind of Hinduism I grew up in. I think where I've shifted my thinking is just becoming a lot more conscientious of the ways in which um, Hinduism is not uh, like across the board an ideal religion. Like despite me having accessed ideal aspects of it, um, there's like a deep-seated uh, Islamophobia in the way that um, his, Hinduism is sometimes uh, interpreted or practiced. And so I I've become, um, especially in my work, a little bit more hesitant to um, to be perceived as making work that is like celebrating uh, a religion that actually has hurt a lot of people as well. And so I think I've pulled back a little bit in that way. But I think on a personal level, I have an affinity for the, the ritual and the customs and the ideas that I grew up with one of the things I found really appealing about Hinduism is that there's sort of like a perceived idea of multiple gods, right? Like this is what Hinduism's known for. There's this God and that God and this God. And, you know, the way that it was once explained to me is that it offers that actually Hindus actually believe in a single God, like a, you know, a a single God, but like the different exteriors allows believers different access points. So if you're into this kind of thing, you got this God. And if you're into elephants, you got that God. And I I talk and, and people change about how for me, I think that that in some ways is how I also explain the joy of being a multidisciplinary artist. It's like, I'm looking to make connection with people. And if you're not interested in poetry, fair enough, maybe you'll like, you know, this music video. But at the same time, I don't fundamentally believe in a single like core me you know, like I, in the book, the book really pushes against this idea of like authentic, the authentic self. Like I, I really hate that word so much because it it suggests a singular true self. And I think that the, the most beautiful thing about life is actually the way that we hold many selves and that not one is more or less true. Sometimes our circumstances change, sometimes our perspectives change, sometimes our values change, but ultimately who we are throughout our lives is authentic. Who we are in every chapter is true. And so it's, it's been interesting to, uh, for the first time in my work, actually like counter some of the like Hindu fundamentals that I, I grew up with in, in a very like uh, deliberate way.
1: I'm wondering, would you like to pull some tarot cards? I
0: would. I'm in the midst of a, a, a kind of fractured relationship and I'm worried about its future and the impact that's going to have on me and them. Does that feel like enough?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. The first thing I'll ask the tarot is what does it look like if things just continue on their the current path without any sort of interference or intervention?
0: Well, I think part of what I'm anxious about is is that there there is an upcoming intervention. And and so I'm I'm nervous about how that's going to impact an already fractured relationship.
1: Okay, so first I'm going to see, you know, what does it look like for you? So, you know, you can think about this while I'm shuffling, you can think about best case scenarios, worst case scenarios, you know, neutral scenarios. What does it look like for you on the other side of this intervention? Okay, i'm picking three cards i love a three card spread now i'm going to think about for the other person um, you know what is their energy going to be like um, on the other side of this intervention how is it going to land with them you know a more immediate effect that it will have um, you know we're always thinking about time with tarot and so it's not long term like even if this is all like worst case scenario you know it could be very different and softer, and you know, a year. But I'm talking. We're looking right now at like what's going to be the immediate effect of, of this. You know, just because there, there, I, you know, I can feel all the, like the apprehension, and there's there seems like there is like a negative expectation, right? Or, <laughs> or you're preparing for that. If it's okay with you, I would like to also shuffle and be like, what, what are some energies for you to keep in mind moving forward as sure. you process whatever, sure, sure, whatever the result of it is. All right. Pick three cards on that. All right. So, what's it going to be like for you? Okay. First card that comes up is Princess of Cups. She is very sweet and she's very emotionally astute. She knows where she's at emotionally and she's not. like she's not cold and like detached from her emotions but she's like in concert with them intellectually she's like oh look what i'm feeling right now like she's very and from that place she's actually really able to make a very beautiful offer of love so there's this is suggesting to me that like this intervention is coming out of an impulse of love if not towards this other person that at the very least a love towards yourself and like what you want for yourself Oh, and then we get the work cards. How interesting. So there's some emotional labor that's happening here. Um, and and that is um, that's very interesting. It's Mars and Capricorn. You know, the word emotional labor all, always sounds horrible, right? Like no, it's <laughs> nobody wants that labor. It's unpaid, it's frustrating, you know, it's triggering. But there's something about this where at least in this particular situation, you're sort of born to do it in a way. Like it's part of your larger, it, it, it might not be your calling in the world, but it's certainly adjacent in a funny way to the calling in the world. And the reason I say that is because it's Capricorn and Capricorns love to climb the mountain, you know, and um, it's Mars in Capricorn, so, and, and Mars is a motor. So it's built to push people up the mountain and Capricorns like, here we go up the mountain. This is a very grounded reading for you. and. I mean that actually seems nice considering it's um, the kind of reading that it is where there's like the possibility of emotional upset. Um, the knight of disks is very Taurus. Um, he's very grounded. He is the n- only knight in this in the tarot whose horse is not leaping into the sky. Horse has all four four hooves on the ground. Is stopping to you know smell the hay and have a nibble. Um, It's about taking a very deliberate pause so after this whole thing is over you might want a little bit of space from this person even if it goes well you know you might you might want a little space and that's totally okay for you to do that and like not feel any sort of pressure in the wake of it to be like okay we're great now or okay i feel better this is actually all about how sometimes doing nothing is a creative choice it's a healthy choice it's a choice it's not like a a passive like neglect of action. It is re- It is an action. And that's displayed in this by the sun is reflecting off the night's shield and it's turning the hillside green. So him just hanging out there is a creative act. It is a generative act. So at the end of this emotional labor, you can have a pause. You can just like take a break and do what feels good for you. Now, how is this going to land with the other? Okay, very interesting while you are the princess of cups this other person is the queen of cups so while you're able to walk into this with a lot of emotional clarity and i think leave with a lot of emotional clarity not the same for this person this person's going to be very emotionally confused by this um you know the queen of cups is so emotional that you can't actually see her face she's been obscured by her emotions so it's like you know and when we think about emotions we love our emotions obviously but they can also get the best of us and, and make us really reactive so it is a sort of reactive card in that way where it's not necessarily defensive it's it's although that could be part of it it's more of just of like oh, i'm so in my feelings i don't know what to make of this god this doesn't look good for this other person so even more important then for you to really take care of yourself and be grounded and i would even say seeing seeing how hard these cards are for this other person, I'm gonna just reflect back on this three of discs works card for you. Have boundaries around your work, right? Just make sure you have some boundaries around your work. Know, know what is your jo- job quote, you know, know what's in your job description here and what is not in your job description. So after we have this queen of cups response of like emotional sort of overwhelm, we have another cups card, we have the seven of cups which is another card of emotional overwhelm. And it's called debauch in this um, deck. And it's because, um, you know, according to these tarot traditions, which, you know, assigns meanings to numbers, the seven sevens are emotional numbers and cups is an emotional suit. So again, here we have this like, overflow of emotion and the way that it manifests in the 7 of cups in in this deck is that it's like okay well what do we do when we feel overly emotional what's our coping mechanisms and when this card comes up it's usually a, co- a coping mechanism that's old that doesn't work anymore that works against what we want for ourselves and and we go right running right into it so in that way it's a metaphor for addiction but, um, and you know, you are talking about intervention. I don't know if, there, if this is literally an intervention around somebody who is doing something that's sort of self-destructive, but if it's so, you can probably expect for the intervention to not, you know, do a magic trick and turn this person around. This person's probably going to be triggered and run right back into whatever, you know, uh, unhealthy coping skill, skill that they've acquired over time. You know, something that at some point, did the trick, you know, but this was not sustainable. And by the time the evidence of its unsustainability is apparent, the person is too attached to the coping mechanism to be able to see that clearly and be able to let go of it. So it's a hard card. The last card that comes up is another cups card, the Prince of Cups. Um, It's so interesting that, you know, you guys, both of you start with a, a court card, which is in the same element, right? And then you both move on to a minor arcana card, which is our in different elements. And then you're back to court cards again in different in, in different elements now. And you're able to go into this situation with, with emotion with the with the Princess of Cups, right? But then emerge really grounded from it with these earth signs. Whereas this person is just in their emotions the whole time. They're not grounded. The Prince of Cups is really is is an interesting card. He's a a bit of a hard card. He's a Scorpio. And, you know, Scorpios have reputation for being very controlling and very interested in control. And the reason for that is they feel their emotions really acutely and they get they get knocked off course by the um, ferocity of their emotions really easily. So it becomes a coping skill to try to control everything so that they're not accidentally no jack in the box, you know, pops out and, and freaks them out. So it, that's that's where that is coming from. It is a sort of survival mechanism. But again, you know, like just like the seven of cups, not one that's sustainable, not one that you know you want for the long haul. So this prince of cups is sort of skirting the surface. They could, they are on a magical bird in this card that could go deep into the ocean and take them to amazing depths. It could also go really high into the sky and take them to amazing heights, but they are really afraid of both of those things. They're afraid of getting too deep. They're afraid of soaring too high. So they're just staying in this soggy ass middle ground that just, and you can see they're they're staring down into their cup, they're self-obsessed, they can't figure it out. It's almost like they're overthinking it, but it being the suit of cups not swords they're overfeeling it they're so just trying to think they're you know feel their way out of a situation that isn't it's not going to respond to that method so should you be doing this intervention you know even though it looks like there's not a a clear and beautiful result for this person yeah absolutely you should because you're coming from a a beautiful place with this princess of cups um this is a, a this is work that needs to be done for one reason or another you know um with this three of, of discs and then from the with the knight of discs as the situation plays out and you pause you're going to know what your next move is it's going to give you more clarity and more direction around this person so looking at what's helpful for you you got the hierophant card which is sort of the major arcana higher value version of this knight of discs so it is the tarot the tarot message is really doubling down on like you know, be in your knowledge, be grounded in your knowledge, be grounded in your wisdom about the situation. Um, you know, the way, however this looks to you, however this lands for you, is true for you. And it's going to definitely um, just resonate with things that you already know. Um, and moving forward, I think that this is a real, like a learning lesson for you in, in some major way. Um, and the Hierophant, you know, he's a complicated card because he's very patriarchal. He's very about like tradition. Um, but there's, you know, there's wonderful ways to like reinterpret that. And, you know, in our lives and and think about like, well, what are our personal traditions and what are our personal knowledge banks and what do we know and how do we move forward and create a life based on what we know? And um, and it talks about different ways of knowing there is this um, intuitive sort of like witch, you know, way of, of, of knowing. And then there's this little like child in the center of the chest. That's all about, like, also a different kind of intuitive knowing of like, you know, first thought, best thought, don't overthink it, you know? And then there is, you know, the wizened elder, which is about like, I've been around the block and I know what I, I know what I'm seeing and I know where this is going. So it's really about like knowing really being true, true to what you, What this looks like to you the next card looks hard it's the five of swords it's defeat so yeah you know if you have expectations about this situation they're going to be a little dashed um and so give yourself time to process that you know the swords cards are very mental so it really is about how things affect our mental landscape um often when the five of swords comes up it's like yeah something something does not go your way and that sucks but what's harder the the bigger risk is that then creating a narrative in your head that dictates future moves so try not to write a story about it either about this particular person your relationship your ability to you know create change you know in people's lives whatever you know whatever sort of story starts you start telling yourself try to really challenge that and just be like you know this might feel true for now but we don't know the future. Um, and I like this at the very end, like you will be at peace about this situation. You will come to a place of peace. The two of swords, it's literally the peace card. It's, it's moon in Libra. You know, our moon is our emotional center. Libra wants to harmonize. It wants to balance. It wants to see the best of people really. And I think that you will be able to return to a place of that, um, after kind of allowing yourself to feel the sting of defeat. Does all of this make sense? I know we're kind of talking about the future, so who's to say, but
2: yeah,
0: thank you. Sorry. I appreciate this very much. It's (laughs) exactly what I'm worried about. So it just affirms all the things that I'm, I'm concerned about.
1: It is good to know. Hopefully it will be helpful. Like as you actually walk through the situation, I'm sorry that it wasn't filled with you know sun cards and star cards and all the fucking tarot cards you want to come up
0: i mean even if they were i wouldn't have believed you so <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so this feels a lot more realistic in my mind i don't know
2: <laughs> i'm vera blossom a producer here on your magic today i've got a spell to help you with accepting change that you're afraid of change is scary Even after a few years of studying the tarot and telling people that the tower and death cards are only temporary setbacks and can often be good tidings in disguise, seeing them still fills me with dread. The catastrophe in the tower scares me. The lightning strike, the explosion, it's not exactly a welcoming image at first glance. This spell will help us see that endings can lead to new, hopeful beginnings. First, take a look at the tower card. Pull the one from your go-to tarot deck or look up an image if you can. Take it in. Close your eyes and imagine the tower before the disaster. Visualize the inside of the tower and fill it up with all the thoughts in your head. The good thoughts and the bad thoughts. Fill the hallways of that tower with your best memories. Hangouts with friends, sunrises, sunsets the smell of the ocean and clean laundry, your favorite meal, your pet, random acts of kindness, art, books, laughter. Now fill the tower with your anxieties and your worries. Bills that are due, national disasters, oppressive legislature, poverty, that weird thing you did at that party, the worst thing that happened to you in high school. Fill the tower to the brim until you can't think of any more. Until that tower is impossible to walk through. It will feel heavy, immovable, permanent. Look back at the tarot card. Take it in. The lightning, the explosion, the debris and people flying everywhere. Close your eyes. Imagine the aftermath of disaster. The bricks of the tower scattered everywhere your memories like objects thrown about by a tornado. The tower is no longer there. Imagine yourself collecting the bits of the tower to build something new. Leave behind the anxieties and dark thoughts. Let them go into the ether. Collect only what matters to you. Maybe you build another tower, this one emptier and free to move around in. Maybe you build an amphitheater or a museum or a house, or a cute brick cottage. It's up to you. The tower is gone, and you're free to make whatever you want with what's left. Take a deep breath, exhale. Put the tower card back in your deck and shuffle.
1: Thank you, Vera, for that very helpful spell. When I first learned that Vera was going to do a change spell for this episode, I actually asked if it would be a spell to allow for change or to stop change. And everyone on our team sort of looked at me and was like, um, a spell to stop change would sort of be bad energy. Oh, yeah, right. Did not mean to reveal so much about my psyche like that, but oh well. Wherever you are in your life, in the midst of some sparkling, excellent changes, or working to ramp things up with some invigorating newness, maybe fighting against changes you hadn't wanted, or struggling to stop fighting and let the unknown in, we hope you're able to find some peace, a higher perspective, some personal power, whatever it is that you need. Until next time. Thanks for tuning into Your Magic. You can support us, plus get access to a whole bunch of bonus content at patreon.com backslash thisisyourmagic. Thank you to those who support us. Every dollar makes this work possible. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ThisIsYourMagic and subscribe to our newsletter at ThisIsYourMagic.com. Join us on Discord at the link in the show notes. You can rate us and subscribe right here on Spotify. Just do what you have to do to never miss an episode. You can email us at, at magic.com We would love to hear from you. Your magic is Ben Cooley, me, Michelle T, Molly Elizalde, Tony Gannon, Vera Blossom, and our production intern, Kirsten Osai Bonzu. And our original theme music is by John Kimbrough. Thanks for listening.